You'll please open your Bibles to our scripture reading, 1 John chapter 1, 1 to chapter 2, verse 2. Be concluding our series on 1 John tonight. But for our reading, we'll be going back to the beginning. So 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The grass withers. The flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. Our first requested hymn for this evening is 351, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. It is in the arms of mercy that we experience uh, this love of God. How deep the Father's love for us.
dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that blood that was shed that takes away the sin of the world has been applied to our hearts. And we are so thankful, Lord. And out of that gratitude that continues to grow and well within us, we give of our gifts to you. We ask that you would bless them as we give them, um, knowing that, Lord, you have um, commanded us to give it. You delight in the gifts that we bring. And we ask these in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to 222 in our Psalter hymnal. 222. O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. What trust we have in our God. 222. together in the presence of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that the throne room is open through uh, the way paved by Christ, and we have access, uh, Lord, to the throne of grace. We thank you that you, you invite us 
into your presence this evening to make our requests and our praises known. Lord, we do thank you that uh, as a congregation, uh, we can um, have a place to worship you without being molested, without any fear of reprisals. Uh, we think of those nations, Lord, where your people are, um, are hammered and uh, are besieged uh, and are uh, chased and uh, imprisoned and treated badly. Um, Lord, we do, we do thank you uh, for uh, this um, freedom that we have in our country. We pray and we uphold uh, the believers all around the world who are enduring great suffering um, because they trust in you. We thank you, Lord, that you give grace that is sufficient for every trial and every uh, type of, of trouble. Uh, that we experience. We look at our own country and in the midst of turmoil, Lord, may your church grow in purity um, and in unity. We ask, Heavenly Father, that your people would uh, continue to um, experience uh, an ever-increasing knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we do pray that this evening as the word is preached and Jim brings the word uh, to us, that you would bring us along in our understanding of the assurance of salvation and that we would uh, properly advance in the knowledge of, uh, of the assurance of our salvation as you have declared it in your holy word. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would guide us and that we would um, be uh, protected from the evil one. We just pray that you would bless the preaching of the word this evening. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, Charles and uh, Connie Jackson uh, in uh, Mobile, Uganda, and we pray that you would uh, bless their work. Also, Tina DeYoung in, um, in Uganda, uh, Karamoja and uh, uh, Nakale. Um, we, pre- we ask, Lord, that you would uh, bless the word as it is sown uh, from the preacher's and we ask, Lord, that as those who are engaged in diaconal work or um, other forms of mercy, that um, uh, together they would uh, show the, the wonderful uh, message of salvation as it is applied um, to the needy in, in the various uh, parts of, of Uganda. We ask, Lord, that uh, your spirit would call many out of darkness into the, the wonderful light of the gospel of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we do uh, pray for the work of the church in um, our country. We ask, Lord, that you would help the various um, church plants as they struggle um, uh, to get off the ground um, uh, and and they're fledgling uh, in in many ways and have special needs and and desires. We thank you for uh, the request uh, to uh, that this church work um, would express the needs that they have and these needs would be met. We ask, Father, that uh, you would work by your Holy Spirit to uh, bring about uh, the solution to the various problems that are being experienced. Father, we do um, thank you and praise you uh, for uh, the opportunity that Jerry had to be with his brother um, uh, some weeks ago, and um, now we hear that um, uh, his his wife and is sick and, and there's illness in the family. We just pray, Lord, uh, we bring them to you and ask that you would heal them of their sicknesses. <clears throat> we do praise you with Sharon for uh, this uh, joint Zoom Bible study uh, from various countries around the world and uh, to show the, 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 uh, the nature of your, of your church um, and how it is a global um, ingathering of, of your people. We do uh, lift those up that are um, working in Afghanistan and uh, hope to return or to um, secretly uh, preach the gospel. We pray uh, for your blessing upon uh, that effort and that gospel proclamation. 
Heavenly Father, we turn our thoughts uh, once again to uh, the hearing of your, of your holy word, and we just pray your blessing upon it this evening, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, sing our remaining uh, requested hymn, 172. Let's turn to 172, an appropriate uh, hymn to sing. Speak, O Lord, as we prepare our hearts to hear the word of God. 172, let's stand to sing. Father, we come now to you as poor and hungry beggars coming to your table, asking that you would feed us with your word. You would feed us, that you would fill us, fill our minds and our hearts, that we might know you, that we might love you. We pray, Lord, teach us now. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's open your Bibles to our sermon text tonight. I'll be focusing on 1 John 5, 13, but we'll begin reading in verse 11, uh, page 1023 in your pew Bibles. <clears throat> so First John 5, beginning in verse 11. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. It was almost exactly one year ago, on January 10th, 2021, I began this series on John's first letter, and now tonight, January 9th, 2022, a year later, Come to the final sermon in the series. Of course, I will go on to preach second and third, the second and third letters later this month. And the last time we were in the letter, I covered the final verses. But tonight, I want to circle back and focus on this theme of assurance of salvation. 
This theme is captured well here in verse 13, so I've called that verse tonight's sermon text, but really we'll be considering the entire letter and what John has taught us concerning, uh, concerning how you might know and know that you know, and so be assured that you have eternal life. The fact that John says this is one of his purposes for writing indicates that it is also possible, if not common, for believers to lack this knowledge, to lack this assurance. It's possible to know Christ and so to have eternal life and yet not have that second level of knowledge, to know for certain that you know Christ. And so to know that you possess eternal life. You can have the life, but not know that you have the life. If you come tonight, and this is a question you are wrestling with, I would say to you, first of all, it's a good sign. It's a a good sign that you are asking the right questions, that you are concerned with things that really matter. Unbelievers are not concerned at all with the question of whether or not they are saved. Many simply don't care. They don't bother with thinking about the afterlife because they don't believe in God. And they don't even believe that heaven and hell exist. But far more are simply presumptuous. In fact, polls indicate that almost all Americans who actually believe in heaven also believe that they are certain to go there. Less than half a percent of people, uh, Americans, believe that they will actually go to hell. You may hear people joking about hell, but they don't actually believe in hell. But if you ask people why they believe they will go to heaven, they don't have a good answer. They certainly don't have a biblical answer. The majority will simply say it's because they're good people, because they have done good things that will earn them entrance, or at least they haven't done enough bad things to disqualify them, uh, disqualify themselves from heaven. But this is presumption. And it is in direct contradiction to the teaching of the Bible, which says only those who trust in Christ have eternal life. Only those who have received Christ's righteousness receive life in him. Presumption is dangerous. Wrestling with the question is a sign that you are not simply presuming, that you are searching for answers, that you are seeking a proper assurance. Really, you are looking for not just what other people will tell you, but what God has said about these things and what he says about your eternal destiny. And that is what scripture has provided us with, what God has said. And that's what John provides us with in his letter. This is where we find answers. This is where we find certainty. Now, what the Bible teaches about the doctrine of assurance of salvation has also been called a dangerous doctrine. In fact, it's considered so dangerous by the Roman Catholic Church that they completely deny this doctrine. They deny that it is possible for one to be assured of salvation in this life. Strangely enough, if you think about it, this means that even the Pope cannot be certain during his lifetime, whether or not he will be saved. I believe this Roman Catholic teaching goes against the clear teaching of the Bible, but it's worth considering what is the motivation for such a denial? Why would they consider the Bible's clear teaching that you can know that you have eternal life to be so dangerous? Well, they are trying to guard against the danger of presumption. And that's a worthy goal, as I've already warned against presumption tonight. There are two forms, two forms of presumption that we must guard against. The first form of presumption is assuming that you rest in the grace and mercy of God when you have no good reason for doing so. This is certainly the more common danger. There's also something we see warned against often in the scriptures, particularly in reference to the Jews during the days of Jesus and the apostles. Consider the preaching of John the Baptist in Matthew 3. When he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John saw these Jewish leaders coming to him, but he warned them that they were not coming with repentance in their hearts. They assumed that because they had a pure Jewish lineage, they would be saved. Their faith was in their bloodline, but John had come to preach a gospel of repentance and faith in the Messiah who was coming after him. Of course, Paul preached the same message in his letter to the Romans. He writes these words to a Jewish man who was full of judgmental thoughts to the Gentiles around him, but was not actually repentant for his own sins. Paul writes, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed, Romans 2, 3 through 5. Paul goes on to argue that Jews cannot presume on their Jewish heritage to save them. Only repentance and faith in Jesus Christ will lead to salvation. We see the danger that Jews in that day, the danger they had of assuming that they were saved simply because they were born and raised Jewish, simply because they had been circumcised. You can see the same parallel in the church today. You can't assume that just because you were born and raised in a Christian church, just because you were baptized, just because you attended church on Sundays, you went to Sunday school, you can't assume that you will be saved. All these things are important. All these things are good. But what is essential is the gospel. You must repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Assurance of salvation, if it is based on false premises, is presumption. So surely it can be dangerous. To give another example, think of the 9-11 hijackers. They had a certain sort of assurance of salvation, did they not? They were assured that as soon as they committed their act of terrorism, they would enter paradise and receive a gift of 72 virgins. But this false assurance was based on lies straight from the pit of hell. It was a false assurance. False assurance based on lies is dangerous. Presumption is dangerous. But that does not mean that assurance of faith is impossible as the Roman Catholic Church teaches. So I want to say there's a second kind of presumption that we must also guard against. And that is to presume that you cannot know that you have eternal life. When scripture, in fact, says that you can. Is that not what John says here in verse 13? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John says that you can know. You can be certain that you have eternal life. And so I say it is presumptuous to claim uncertainty when God says you can have assurance. Here's what John Stott writes. If God's revealed purpose is not only that we should hear, believe, and live, but also that we should know, presumptuous lies in doubting his word, not trusting it. If God has given the means to assure you that he has given you eternal life, it would be presumptuous of you to doubt it. Instead, you ought to use the means he has given you to grow in this assurance. The first reason this doctrine of assurance is considered dangerous is this danger of presumption. 
The second danger is the danger of lawlessness. Roman Catholic Church teaches that salvation is not by grace alone, through faith alone, but rather a combination of faith and your own good works. And therefore, they teach the Christian must always be on the treadmill, adding good works to your resume to earn your ticket to eternal life. And so they believe that if Christians are in a constant state of insecurity, this fear of losing your salvation will drive you to strive more, to do more good deeds. And so the Roman Catholic fear is that if someone has assurance of eternal life, this would lead to a slackness in good works and a disregard for God's law. And so Roman Catholics guard against lawlessness partly by denying the doctrine of assurance of salvation. I respond by saying it's good to guard against lawlessness. John writes at the outset of chapter 2, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He devotes large sections of this letter to his concerns that believers grow in love and obedience, obedience to God's law. He is certainly not one to say, now that you know that you have eternal life, sit back, relax, and disregard the law of God. He is clear. These two doctrines, assurance of salvation and devotion to love and obedience, are not in conflict in the believer's heart and life. He has the same concerns about presumption and lawlessness. But he says that while we guard against presumption and we guard against lawlessness, we should also know that we have eternal life. Now, having considered the dangers that we are guarding against, let's consider the four main ways that John has given us in this letter. Four main ways through which you can grow in your assurance of salvation. First, grow in assurance through the mark of faith in God's testimony. Let's read again our main verse uh, in its context. Chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We looked at these verses in some detail about a month ago, so I'll review a few of the points from my sermon at that time. I emphasize that this Testimony is God's testimony. It's the truth that God has spoken, and it is as true as God himself is true. John lays it out in the simplest possible terms for us, using the most basic language so that its meaning is impossible for us to get wrong. God gave us eternal life. This life is in his Son, Jesus Christ. Whoever has the Son has the life. And so if you believe in the Son, if you trust in the Son, then you have the Son and you have the life which is in the Son. Just as Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. It's so plain. It's so simple. If you believe this message, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. It's so simple. Let's consider where we can get mixed up, how we can begin to have difficulties. We get mixed up, we begin to have doubts when we start to look inwards, when we start to evaluate our faith. Start to ask, is my faith enough? Is my faith strong enough? Is it pure enough? What if it wavers? What if it fails? What if, what if, what if? I'd say the response to all these questions is the same. It's to look away from ourselves and to look to Christ. It is not our faith that saves us, but Christ. Yes, our faith is our own, and it is 
our faith the instrument that grasps Christ. But even our faith is a gift from God. And in this, we must trust God, that the God who gives us faith gives us sufficient faith. He gives us pure enough faith. He gives us strong enough faith. He gives us a faith that will not fail us. And he will preserve us. He will complete the good work that he has begun in us. And so when these doubts about your faith begin to crowd into your mind, look away from yourself and look to Christ, your Savior. Remember this. Your faith is not in your faith, but in your faithful Savior. And so trusting in him, your assurance of salvation will grow stronger. So first, grow in assurance through the mark of faith. Second, grow in assurance through the mark of obedience. You've seen John's emphasis on the importance of obedience all throughout this letter. I've already quoted chapter 2, verse 1, I think three times tonight. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You see the similarities between this verse and 5.13. Just as much as John wants you to know that you have eternal life, so he also wants you not to sin. These two things are not in conflict with one another. They go hand in hand. And so as you grow in obedience, as you are sanctified, that is, as you grow in holiness, you are becoming like Christ, your Savior. And so you know that you know Christ. You know that you have Christ's life. And that life, that eternal life, is a life of holiness and obedience even now. And John uses and he develops this principle of like father, like son in chapter 3 to describe this dynamic. So chapter 3, verse 1, he writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Then he describes the implications of this in the verses that follow. Since we are children of God, we will be like our Father. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. Let's make this all very practical. John is saying that one of the marks of the true believer, and therefore one of the marks that will help you to grow in your assurance that you are truly saved, that you have eternal life, is obedience to God. And John has written large portions of this letter to encourage you to grow in that obedience. At the same time, John is pastoral. He is practical. He recognizes that Christians are not perfect. They are not sinless now. They will not reach sinlessness in this life. And so he charges us in the opening chapter, which we read earlier, to confess our sins and be cleansed and to never claim to be without sin. And so after writing, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, he immediately follows it with these words of comfort. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so even as John seeks and expects growth and obedience, he knows there will be sin, there will be failures, there will be setbacks. And so he reminds us of the forgiveness and the grace that is found in Christ alone. I think one of the greatest warnings in this letter is that concerning lawlessness in chapter 3. The children of the devil are described as practicing lawlessness. That is, they have 
no concern for the law of God. And that is the antithesis. That is the exact opposite of the Christian. The Christian who loves God's law and seeks to obey it. Now, of course, the Christian falls short of the standard of God's law. We fall short every day. We sin in thought, in word, in deed. And if you focus on your failures, if you focus on your sins, it's very easy to begin to doubt your salvation. The question to ask when you're looking for this mark, when you're seeking assurance of salvation is not, have I perfectly obeyed God's law today? Because if you ask that question, the answer will always be no. You know you haven't obeyed God's law perfectly. Rather, the question is this. Have you been seeking to live a life pleasing to Christ out of gratitude for the love that he has shown you? Have you been seeking to please your Savior? And if so, that is the mark of obedience and a mark that should be growing you in your assurance of salvation. In the sermon tonight, I'm not able to go in depth on the topics of repentance, the topic of sanctification, but of course, sermons on these topics would be excellent ones to listen to in order to go in more depth on how a Christian can grow over time in Christian obedience. And as you grow in obedience, you will also grow in your assurance of salvation. Here you also see that if you are pursuing assurance of salvation in this way, through growing obedience, you will also not fall into this danger of lawlessness. John has explicitly warned us away from that path. And as you continually repent and grow in obedience, that will also keep you away from falling into pride and presumption. That then brings us to the third mark. Grow in assurance through the mark of love. We've seen John's emphasis on love all throughout the letter. Love for God, but most of all, John emphasizes love for one another. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ. In a sense, we could consider this a subset of the mark of obedience. To love God and love neighbor are the first and second great commandments, as Jesus said. And so to love is simply to obey God. John puts a special emphasis here. Christians are to be known by their love. He connects this most explicitly with eternal life in chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So interesting how John defies our expectations again and again in this letter. We might expect him to write that we would know that we have passed out of death into life by our love for God. But instead he speaks of our love for one another. It's our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ that is the greatest evidence that we are truly born again. That we are truly sons and daughters of God because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, this is the most practical thing in the world. God speaks of love, not in word and talk, but in actions and in truth. Love taking action to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters. Sometimes a person who's wrestling with uh, uh, an assurance of salvation, they, they get stuck in their head. They spend their time praying, reading, thinking, wrestling. It's all internal, an internal struggle. And they're looking inside, looking at the self. And here's a suggestion I think the Apostle John might make. Get outside of yourself. Take lucky, loving initiative towards a brother or sister in Christ. Sign up for the meal ministry. Reach out to show hospitality to someone who's sick as someone who's lonely, send a card, make a telephone call, whatever it might be. Take action to meet a need in love. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? 
because we love the brothers. That's the third mark. Grow in assurance through the mark of love. Fourth and finally, grow in assurance through the Spirit's presence and internal testimony. Here we speak of the Holy Spirit who dwells within the believer as in a holy temple and who speaks within us, reassuring us that we are God's children. Let's first compare two similar verses from 1 John that speak of this. First we have 1 John 3.24, And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And similarly, 1 John 4.13, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. Both these speak of this mutual abiding, our abiding in God and God abiding in us by his gift of the Holy Spirit living within us. And the Spirit who dwells in us is not silent. As Paul writes in Romans eight fifteen through 16, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Just as the Spirit has spoken outside of us in the words of the Holy Scriptures, the Spirit speaks inside of us, his internal testimony, reassuring us that we are children of God. Scripture also calls the Spirit a seal, a down payment, the first part of a far greater inheritance that we have been promised in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee or the down payment of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Here again, I want to make this very practical because the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is something that's both clearly taught in Scripture and yet it is mysterious. It is beyond our understanding. How can it be that God himself, whom the heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain, would dwell within man? Well, it's true because God himself has declared it. He has promised it. He has done it. And yet... I will admit, I personally have wrestled with these teachings. I know I've wondered if the Holy Spirit is dwelling within me, if he is sanctifying me from within, and I believe it, why do I still struggle so much with sin? Especially in my younger years as a believer, I often expected some sudden and impressive transformation. The Holy Spirit would come in and change everything in a moment. And if the Holy Spirit gives gifts, should I... Should I not all of a sudden have some incredible talents that just came out of nowhere? With time, I've come to realize that many of these expectations were mistaken, but that does not mean that the Holy Spirit was not there all along. With time, I've come to know his presence and experience his sanctifying touch. I've come to know his conviction of sin and I've gone astray, and he's brought me to repentance. I've experienced that internal testimony, confirming the words of Scripture in my heart and testifying along with my spirit that I am a child of God. And with time, I've had that growing confidence that he is within me. And with that, that growing confidence, that growing assurance of salvation and perhaps that's been your experience as well. And that's what John wants you to have as well. A growing knowledge. As he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. At the same time, watch out for presumption. Don't base your assurance on anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't base it on the fact that you are born in a Christian home. 
or that you're baptized or that you go to church on Sundays. Don't base it on the fact that you once prayed a sinner's prayer or went up front in evangelistic service. I'm not saying it's wrong to do those things. In fact, they're good things. But where does your assurance lie? Let your assurance be that you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Let your assurance be that you see the evidence of this trust manifesting itself in your life, in the fruit, the good fruit of obedience, the good fruit of love, in the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. This evidence may take time to accumulate and grow, but as it does, your confidence will grow as well. But never let your confidence be in yourself. Let your confidence, let your trust, let your hope be always and only in Jesus Christ, your Savior. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you tonight for this precious teaching that we can not only know Jesus Christ, our Savior, but that we can know that we know him, that we can know that you have given us this precious gift of your very own Son, and in him, the very life that he has is ours, the eternal life, the eternal fellowship with you, the triune God. And life, Lord, we enjoy it even now and look forward to uh, the glorious life that we will experience when we have the fullness of it in our resurrection bodies, in the new heavens and the new earth. Lord, we thank you that we are not left in limbo, that we are not left uncertain. But Father, we do pray for those who are wrestling, who are not certain right now, that through the means that we've heard tonight, they would grow in a greater confidence, a greater assurance, uh, that as they trust in Christ, as they see growth in obedience, growth in love, and a knowledge of your Holy Spirit dwelling within them, they would know that they know Christ and that they would know that they possess that eternal life that's found only in him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.